there's always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of season four of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a pair of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea. Welcome both. Hi there. Hey, yeah. So you two caught up in, was it Sweden recently? Yes. And me and Virginia caught up in Athens the other week. So <laughs> all that's left to do, well, Sean, for me, <laughs> obviously, somewhere, but all that's left to do really is for all three of us to meet up and do a live in-person podcast recording somewhere. And I think maybe a industry event would be good. Yeah. So if the organisers of anyone like Cybos or Network Forum or maybe... <laughs> Milken Institute or whatever it might be, a little <laughs> small stages, major venues, whatever you think is best. I think a live version of this would be very enjoyable. Definitely, we'd we'd have to have some memes on stage though, Sean. Right? Yeah, for sure. We we could we could arrange that. <laughs> exactly, dedicated ones to whatever event it is, and uh, yeah. But it's you know, aside from the fact, Virginia, that we we caught up in Athens, which is a wonderful place, and the sun was shining. It's been an exciting week or a couple of weeks for FinRec. There have been so many things happening that we, well, I've got a list. And I think the best thing to do is me to reel off everything that we've seen occur. And then you two can take turns in picking what to talk about. Um, So my list starts with maybe the most recent things I've seen. Bitcoin, ETF dramas. We... I'm sure we had a whole series where that was mentioned at least multiple times per episode. We've seen some cool things coming out of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, including tokenized funds. We had a consolidated tape in Europe and the banning of payment for order flow. There's been some updates to CSDR. I think today the CFTC created two working groups on cybersecurity, one on tackling environmental fraud. We've had the digital euro. We've had UK digital asset review. And I, know I could go on. Where, Sean? Where do you want to start? What's What's top of mind for you? Um, I guess I'll do the Bitcoin ETF for my sins. But um, <laughs> yeah, so there has been sort of a, a flurry of activity. So a few weeks ago, BlackRock sort of surprised everybody and put in an application for for a Bitcoin ETF, which got everyone tremendously excited. Um, mainly because they're BlackRock. Um, and to be fair, they've only ever had one ETF rejected. So that got everyone quite excited. And you saw a lot of uh, firms sort of refiling previously uh, pulled applications. Um, and then just today, uh, the SEC essentially sent a note to all of the to sort of like show their work. So one of the major developments, such as it is, is this, these uh, surveillance agreements between the exchanges and the uh, asset managers. And this is meant to address the SEC's concern about fraud in in the underlying marketplace. Um, But no one bar BlackRock actually mentioned who their, the exchange they were in the entering to the agreement with, and no one gave sort of a a draft of that agreement. So the SEC has gone back and essentially said, you know, show us more and show us your work before we can sort of review the the applications in full, which is sort of a normal procedural step when you're dealing with something like this, but because it's, you know, tied to, to 
Bitcoin and crypto, it gets everyone gets a little over emotional when anything ever happens. So that was that's the big development. And we'll see where it goes. I still, as I think since we started recording this podcast way back when, remain skeptical as ever that we're going to get a Bitcoin ETF, especially with uh, Mr. Gensler helming the good ship SEC. But uh, I think BlackRock entering into it does change it a little bit insofar as they're sort of, you know, the most trad five, trad five organizations to apply for one yeah. so far. Yeah, and it is funny that for a decentralized, you know, a DeFi kind of product and everything that crypto stands for, the, the big headlines are always when Jamie Dimon says something or BlackRock do something. But like you say, the quintessential TradFi <laughs> organizations. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it's interesting because Bitcoin's slowly becoming like the good crypto compared to everything else for some, you know, partly when everything else looks horrible, Bitcoin looks better. Um, and that's part of it. So more TradFi firms have embraced it. But I think generally, I've said this sort of in a few places that if crypto is to really be a thing in the future, um, it's going to look a lot more like TradFi than it does today, or than the sort of, like, I would say the the founders of crypto had envisioned, you know, you're ultimately going to end up with like exchanges and custodians, and it's going to look very, the you know, the assets such as it is might be different, but the infrastructure is going to look very similar, which is, you know, the opposite of what everyone was talking about a few years ago. It's also worth noting that there were some stats out this week about criminal use of, of uh, coins, as I'm going to do air quotes here. Um, and, it, and it turns out that Bitcoin only increased 70% in terms of criminal usage compared to some was it Ethereum, I think, grew by 200 and something percent in terms of the criminal yeah. gangs. So, you know, obviously, yeah. even the, you know, the criminal gangs are moving away from Bitcoin because BlackRock's moving in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the... It was a great headline that was basically like Bitcoin running, uh, losing favor with criminals or something. It was an astounding bit of editorial work, but yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's a, it's a great character arc for Bitcoin. <laughs> um, you're right, Sean. I think the, the Bitcoin ETF has been from season one. And I, maybe when it's approved, that's when we pack, it, pack this all in. <laughs> so that's the final episode. So good place to start. Um, Virginie, take a pick. I'd love to talk CSDR, but it's entirely your choice. Oh, I can do CSDR refit. I mean, obviously, it's I mean, it's, it's relatively big news. It's just part of the bloody Lampalusi process. I'm swearing again, unfortunately, sorry. But uh, in terms of that really slow process of agreeing the regulatory text, um, we did have movement this week. Uh, it, wasn't, it was the European Parliament and the European Council, I think, agreed, approved the... Uh, had some sort of interagency agreement on the text. And it hasn't yeah. changed massively since, I think, March, when there were tweaks made to it. So um, we did have reiteration that the mandatory buy-ins are a last resort. We knew that already, I think, because that's been something that everybody's been talking about. And every association under the sun has been pushing for, you know, mandatory buy-ins to be um, taken out. But they haven't, unfortunately, yet been taken out. They've just been sort of tabled for now. Um, as, as I think we discussed if, maybe a couple of episodes ago. Um, but there's been more discussion about, you know, settlement efficiency in there, about, um, you know, partialing um, and other sort of um, approaches, you know, uh, that, that CSDs can take um, in, in terms of auto borrowing and stuff like that to help um, to help improve settlement efficiency because the rates are currently pretty pretty high still in terms of fails. I don't know if we talked about it last time, but obviously the T2S 
annual report came out and it showed yes. that there was a huge amount of uh, a fail still going on out there and that's just for T2S. So certainly um, it's, a, it's going to be a big concern and a, and a big focus for the, the refit proposals and you know any Q&As and technical standards that come out as part of refit. But that we haven't got that detail as yet as to what ESMA will be doing. Um, but we certainly see the direction of travel on that front. And we're also seeing more focus on an emphasis on cross-border um, mm. cooperation with CSDs because, unsurprisingly, national interests get in the way of, of a lot of CSDs cooperating. So, um, And there are a lot of them still uh, out across Europe, So, um, although I guess some of them have, have acquired others. But uh, certainly the ones that um, remain distinct uh, aren't necessarily cooperating as much uh, in terms of passporting, in terms of cross-border activities, as much as the, um, the EU regulators would like to see. So that's going to be a big part of CSDR refit as well. Uh, and we've got more steps to go. So um, <laughs> it isn't the final end of the love Lucy process, but uh, yeah. we've, we've got to get it in the count, uh, the, uh, the official journal for it to be finished. It'll get there. It'll get there. A lot of stages, but... I mean, the, the, referring to the mandatory buy-ins as a last resort, again, that's so vague, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. just all hanging out there, dangling, and we don't know what that means, last resort. And also, with T plus one introduction in the US, that's surely going to see a, a rise of, of, of settlement fails occur at that time. So, you know, do they take that into account or... There's, there's already been discussion about T, T plus one being added into CSDR at some point um, because there's a feeling that to get us to move um, as an, an industry in Europe in one go, um, that would, it would take regulation because it did last time. I know we, I've mentioned this before, but there's also an interesting development this week. You, haven't, you didn't mention it in your list, but the, um, the cooperation agreement or memorandum of an understanding between the EU and the UK was signed as well with this, this notion of them actually cooperating with each other post-Brexit. So what does that mean for their, the UK's consideration of you know, the accelerated settlement timeframe? So does that mean that they're going to move with the EU? Does it mean they're going to not move with the EU? I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, that, that MO, MOU kind of implies that they should be moving in tandem with the EU rather than trying to align themselves with the US and, and Canada. We shall see. <laughs> yeah. And... The other one that came out late last night was the the MIFID and MIFIR rules. Um, Sean, that if you saw that, but it's consolidated tape, ban of payment, broader flow. I don't think there was anything in there on unbundling, though. No, there was a big rumor like a week ago that someone had tabled uh, the idea of more or less getting rid of unbundling altogether, but that, that wasn't in the package yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was the payment for order flow, which has been sorted on the cards for a while. And I don't, for the life of me, I don't know why, but the viewers decided they're going to ban it. And I think what will be interesting there is the SEC was sort of monitoring what the EU was doing around that because Gary Gensler would also like to ban pavement of order flow. So it would would be interesting to see if uh, the US moves ahead with their plans now that it looks like uh, Europe's going to ban it starting, I think, in 2026. Um, And then the consolidated tape, look, you know, it's better than nothing, but obviously, like, just about, because in the end, it's sort of like national interests kind of win and exchanges tend to be more powerful than they should be. And the exchanges really sort of won the argument on the availability of data. Um, and so it's sort of a, a compromise proposal um, and certainly not one that I would say most market participants, you know, particularly asset managers and the banks were pushing for more 
more open and more available data. So it's not going to be, it's like a lot of the CMU, honestly, like it's, it starts in a good place and it ends up not quite getting what the biggest impediment to the CMU is the individual policies that you adopt to try to get to the CMU, to be honest. So, but at the end of the day, it's better than nothing. So I think Mark will be happy with it, but I think there's some disappointment that it didn't go as far as it could have. Yeah. Very interesting. And I think the, the SEC has got a kind of no action relief. Is that, is that up in a matter of days or have they sorted that out today and I missed it? No, that expires in like 13 days or so. I think a couple of weeks that expires. And I mean, barring a real last minute change of heart um, by the SEC, that looks like it's going to go away. So I think that's, that will be, a mess is the nicest way I could put it. So I think it's going to be a real challenge for firms uh, and sell site research in the U.S. Um, with European clients because I, you know, I don't think like so notably like I know Bank of America actually registered as an advisor, so they're fine. But a lot of most groups are relied on the no action relief to not do anything. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, I would imagine. Like on day one, the the amount of non-compliance will be near 100%. It'll just be a matter of how long it takes the industry to move move to a new model. It's surprising given how much the SEC's got in its docket at the moment that they haven't addressed this. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, they've been busy. Another thing they've been busy with, I think they've done, they've issued in one day, they issued about 15 different, well, they had different enforcement actions taken, I think, right. yesterday or the day before? Good Lord. I mean, are they trying to beat a Guinness World Record or something? I'm not right. sure, but um, certainly they are. <laughs> They've got a lot that they're working on. So with, with a reduced team as well, apparently, because there seems to be a lot a lot of people leaving. So um, you have to wonder about, you know, all of these different rules, who's going to be drafting them and who's going to be enforcing everything if, if, if uh, they're sort of focusing on everything under the sun. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think, like, it's not... I mean, it's not particularly surprising if you're familiar with Gary Gunsler's previous work at the CFTC that he wouldn't particularly like having to enforce uh, EU regulation by, you know, having to enforce in the U.S. So it's not surprising he didn't change the rules to accommodate the European regs. But I, I do think it's kind of surprising in light of everything that's happening that he hasn't looked to extend it. But I guess in his defense... The SEC did give everyone like a year's notice that this was happening. I just think no one believed them. So I guess maybe you have to uh, call it, call the industry's bluff on it. But I think your point, in the, the uh, sort of the list of activity that he has planned for the rest of the year, like October is going to be a crazy month. Like there's a ton of new rules coming, right? We've talked about them a few times. We don't need to rehash them. But like you have to wonder at what point the SEC does get, I think it's a great point, gets sort of overstretched and can, can they actually deliver on everything they're, they're trying to get done? That's true. And we've got the testing window for T plus one in August as well. Don't forget that. Oh, oh, sorry, how could I forget that? <laughs> <laughs> Another popular topic that we always talk about, but that's coming up really soon. So um, it'll be interesting. Again, I, I was I was part of a discussion this week about T plus one. God, when am I not talking about T plus one? Um, there was an interesting discussion amongst panelists about uh, whether Gary Gensler will um, will postpone, and I think that everyone in Europe seems to think he will, mm. and everyone in the US seems to think he won't. So it's interesting. 
um, what happens there. I know that we we we've sort of talked about it and and the uh, the, the the real possibility it could be extended until sep- until September at least, as it was intended in, initially to be right. you know in September. But I, it's interesting to see that sort of spectrum of opinion. Um, across the globe and, and why why are people in the US thinking it's going to go ahead I guess maybe Gensler's put the fear into them <laughs> but Probably, it's not yeah. reached here yet mm. but I wonder it's interesting but I wonder if it's the same way that you know when years gone by like when GDPR for example was coming up and everyone in Europe knew it was going to happen on the date and everyone in America was convinced it was going to get delayed again right so I wonder if it's just like it you know being removed and you look at something that's clearly going to require a lot of work it isn't ready you just assume it would be delayed, but once like you're just too removed from the actual reality to see that it's coming, no matter how flawed. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even even September. I mean, the issues that are going on and the problems people face, even an extra six months, if I've got the maths right there, doesn't really solve a lot of those issues. No. Yeah, I mean, I would like you guys are much closer to it than I am, but like I would like, if it was going to be delayed. Like it'd be delayed like a year, I would think. Like I just don't like I don't see what. Like it's either if it's such a if it's as bad as everyone says it is, it needs more than six months, or, or yeah. like you know like, or they can get it done in time. Like the six months seems like a weird like I don't know what that gets everybody. Like like so I I would be inclined to think it would be a longer delay, but again I'm maybe that's just my my naivete showing. And and. Might, might there obviously be a change at the SEC as well? I know that a lot of there's been a lot of <laughs> it all dependent on politics here, right? If we think about it, and that might impact it overall as well in terms of the, the makeup of the SEC. Um, there's been a lot of talk and, and pushback. I mean, having watched all those hearings with Gary Gensler, most half of the politicians are not very happy with him and would love to see him um, out. So uh, that could also impact this, right? Yeah, it's not on the realms of possibility. <laughs> you know, I mean, a change at the top would change. I mean, everything we've talked about this year would change immediately with a with a new leader. I mean, I think would would be. And you know, if if you believe the rumors, obviously, beyond everyone hates him in Congress. Like there was chatter that he was angling to be the next Treasury Secretary, but obviously, it doesn't look like Janet Yellen's going to step down. So I I would be surprised. I don't know where he would go after this, so it'd be interesting to see if he would leave the next year. I'd, well, if there's another role to go to, I'd be surprised if he did. And I would think he would be inclined to get all those open rules we've talked about sort of over the finish line and then walk away and make it someone else's problem to implement like he did at the CFTC. <laughs> it might be your problem, John. You know, that, that's an open hole <laughs> there. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of interesting stuff there. And yeah, we, Virginia, that network forum event, tokenization came up quite a bit. And I think maybe you were moderating the panel. You, you did so many, I forget which ones you were doing and which ones you weren't. But <laughs> yeah, I think when there was a, a talk of, you know, how many years away was it? It was somewhere between five and 10 was the end result from, from the panel and from the, the audience. But one of the things that kept coming back to is we need tokenized central bank digital currencies and we did see some developments there this week with the announcement of the digital euro if you both saw that yeah i mean 
The announcement of something doesn't really mean much, though. I mean, when did they announce the CMU? <laughs> and how long have we been talking about that? And likewise, with um, something a bit more determined like T2S. I'd say, I mean, the digital euro is somewhat problematic, isn't it? Um, in, in terms of, of cooperation and, and getting it across the line without having massive end, you know, end investor resistance to it because because there are a lot of sort of things standing in the way of tokenization i think a lot of the things times we don't talk about the importance of digital identity as well yeah so i mean that's another area and i think that came up at tnf um albeit very briefly but Mm -hmm. that's another thing that we don't have right sort of international digital identity for for kyc purposes for digital um assets so you know that that is another problem in itself. I don't, I don't think it's just the CBDC that's going to hold the industry back. There's a lot of other things and liability and all of this stuff to do with the technology platforms and um, understanding you know settlement finality in a DLT platform and all of this kind of stuff is is going to be problematic going forward. Yeah, I think part of it comes from they can't talk about digital assets anymore they, yeah if we yeah. bring up digital assets we're not talking about crypto and bitcoin also oh, we have to talk about something else under the digital asset umbrella what should it be oh tokenization that's a nice easy one to discuss without committing to anything or setting up entire units for it uh, and then to say okay it's a little bit further down the line um but you're right the digital identity that was going to mentioned and then brushed over very quickly. The same as quantum computing was in the uh, in the digital transformation panel. I think there's some things people aren't ready to tackle quite yet. They <laughs> seemed two of those. Sure, and not enough discussion about cybersecurity. I mean, quantum computing is one thing, but just basic cybersecurity anyway with digital assets. Like the the funny thing is, you you may have to just if you look at the ultimate problem here it might be an insurance problem because you're going to have to have some sort of physical um representation or you know mirroring in traditional systems at least of of digital assets which is what's the point of that that's (laughs) you think about it like because of the fact they, they can be more easily stolen because they are natively digital so um we've got to think about all of these different things is it really worth it you've got to ask these questions right cost benefit analysis I have a theory on if it's worth it or not, but um, I think you guys know what that is. But I mean, I think like the the central bank digital currency, like Europe is pushing farther along than most, and it still doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, like I think in Virginia, as you said, like there's all these endpoint issues with rolling it out. And then I think very much that like tokenization, not crypto is like this decade's blockchain, not Bitcoin for the conference circuit. Like it, you, can, you can talk around a subject without talking about like the obvious problems. So, yeah, I mean, I know lots of good, like I think BlackRock came out in favor of tokenization for some reason last week and gets it. Every time BlackRock says something around crypto, everyone gets wildly excited um, or digital assets. But I, I mean, I, I think the question I would always ask is to what end? So yeah, we could tokenize stuff, but like, why? you know, beyond the fact that we can, like it, I haven't really heard a ton of compelling use cases on why we would tokenize stuff. And the arguments you usually hear it's around, it's the same arguments you were hearing from Blythe Mathers, you know, 10 years ago about like, we're just going to put stuff, traditional securities that are on paper onto blockchain instead. Now you're here, we're going to put stuff on tokens instead, but you still don't really, it's not a convincing use case yet, I guess I put it. And so I think it's interesting how much time and money people are going to spend on this without a clear explanation as to why they're doing it. 
Because they can. <laughs> well, yes. Everyone has R&D budgets. <laughs> like... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think an element is that, especially at that conference the other week, there's not a lot of positive talk. You know, a lot of it was about concerns over geopolitics, mm. um, you know, not much progress on digital transformation, <laughs> regulatory challenges. So maybe they almost have to have something optimistic for the future and, and tokenization kind of represents that uh, in this moment. Um, it just something something to jingwag about. And the digital transformation panel was was for me the, the highlight of that that event because it was very candid um and virginia leader was on there i think that made people more open <laughs> to, to their hey we're not doing this so well um which was refreshing but yeah if you read my opinion piece that i put up on global custodian it was the takeaway was we don't really know where we're going with this hmm. yeah she's very direct so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she got them to she got them to actually you know say what they were thinking which which doesn't always happen yeah, well, I think it was the the benefit of having the the Chattermouth rules. It was, it was even though we're discussing it now, but we're not putting names on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there was a bit more honesty about it, and yeah, again, you get the kind of talk about mutualization, mutualization and collaboration, but not too many steps forward on that front. Um, conscious of time, so was there anything we missed? Virginia kindly pointed out the thing I missed earlier. So, anything else that we haven't covered yet that we we need to today? And it sounds like we got. More T plus one stuff and more SEC things to talk about in the summer, that's for sure. True. There's also more stuff on uh, ESG, ESG FinReg, right? There's been loads oh, okay, of Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that could, that could fill an entire episode in terms of people switching from ESG to, what's it, impact, impact thematic funds now, just yeah. to yeah. avoid the regs, right? That's interesting too. Yeah, yeah, and we we had an article on Global Custodian summarizing the takeaways from Fund Forum as well this week. And I went last year, and it sounded very similar this year. Um, and again, <laughs> it's, it's you know you've got a lot of service providers wanting to talk about ESG, but then when you actually put the fund managers there, they say, okay, we're struggling with this. We don't know what we're doing. We need more data. We need more clarity. And you know, people are actually kind of divesting from these funds. So it's we're going, going nowhere slowly, but um, but certainly again seems to be another problematic area which maybe we should dedicate an episode to and, and dig into a bit deeper but i think for now uh that's everything we've got uh we've had some a lot of uh emails asking for um some guests to be on the show so i think throughout the summer we're gonna have some some new guests on um not to replace Sean, Virginia, at all? But, uh, just, just to add to the I'm just getting fired there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we did four in the past, so we we can bring it back to that number. But uh, yeah, but for now, um, Sean, where can people find your thoughts and views? Oh, as always, you can follow me out on the uh, the Twitterverse at at, at SM Toffee. Graham, Virginia, what are you uh, working on at the moment? Oh, I'm doing a fair amount on tokenization because it's the flavor of the month. So, um, yes, that'll be up soon. And uh, you can check our research out on www.fintechfirebrand.com or follow us on Twitter at, fin- at FintechFire or on LinkedIn. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks. And, and what, am I, what are I up to and what are GC up to, you say? Well, we have recently launched the T plus one industry issues forum. 
So the idea behind that is that, yes, a lot of T plus one coverage at the moment, but a lot of it's very high level. A lot of it's hosted by and featuring people that are very much in the conversation. The idea of our issues forum is you can anonymously or put your name against any issues you've got. And we have a panel of experts that will come together and answer those questions, both in written format and on webinars that we've got running over the next well, I'd say a year, but who knows? Like you say, sure, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's another year along and then we can really uh, have some longevity out of that product. But uh, yeah, we're working with the the folk over at the value exchange on that. And I think the, the great thing is we're going to have this huge FAQ Q&A site eventually that really digs into the weeds and answers people's specific problems. So very excited for that project. Uh, if you want any more information on that, do get in touch. But... Aside from that, that's all we have time for today. Um, for Ginny, Sean, thanks so much for your thoughts and views today, and uh, see you next time. You were listening to There's Always a Fimreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>